Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you invite us to come. We come to your altar, Lord, just as we are. Help us to live in celebration of the fact that our access to you is not by virtue of what we have done or what we have accomplished, but because of your love expressed through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that was bought with the blood of our Savior. Enable our lives to be a celebration of that gracious gift. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said? Amen. All right, you may be seated. It is so good to see you today. We continue our series on dignity. It's important that we lay a foundation so that we can understand what God has called us to do and how he has called us to interact with others as it relates to dignity. Let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever heard anyone say, what kind of a person are you? You know that question? Any Seinfeld fans here? There's a great scene in Seinfeld where George has just realized that helping, serving the elderly could, would enable him to find meaning, the meaning he was searching for in his life. And, and as he celebrates this discovery as if he has found the fountain of youth, Elaine, they're sitting in a booth, she looks at Jerry and says, what about you, Jerry? Uh, do, do you want to volunteer as well? And he says, no, no, it's, it, that, that's not really for me. And reflexively and with obvious disgust, George asks the question, what kind of person are you? To which Jerry says, well, I'm pretty much like you, only successful. Now, if you've ever heard that question, I hope that it wasn't directed at you because typically it's asked or shouted or spewed with a measure of disgust. It's asked of people who are behaving crudely, selfishly, disgustingly, or with an antisocial bent. And so there is a place for that question. Are you thinking about the kind of person you are? But the truth is, Jerry got the answer right. See, there's really only one kind of person, and that's the kind that is created in the image of God. Now, whether a person is successful or not, whether they're carrying themselves with dignity or not, or, or whether they're serving the common good, the greater good, and meeting needs of those around them or not. The truth is that at our core, no matter what we are doing, we are all the same. We're all made in the image of God, and therefore we are endowed by God with dignity. Now, our series on dignity is dealing with the believer's call to be dignified 
that is to carry ourselves with a measure of dignity. And the second part of that call is to ascribe dignity to others, to celebrate the fact that we are all of us created in the image of God to be like Him in character. Now, last week, I described the call as the greatest challenge of our time and the greatest need of our day. I want to unpack that a little bit. It, it is a challenge. It's a challenge because in our culture, there are zero expectations that we would treat people with dignity if they oppose us. If they don't look the way we think they should look, talk the way we think they should talk, or think the way we think, if they oppose us, then we deny them dignity. If you want proof, I think you need to look no further than that debacle. I think they called it a debate that took place Tuesday night. Right? When, when the two men who are vying to be the leader of the free world for the next four years stoop to such undignified behavior, there's a problem. And that problem creates a challenge for the body of Christ that we must confront. Someone has to lead. Someone has to be able to live differently so we can stand up and say, no, there's a different way to treat and love people. But instead of leading the way and setting the standard of dignity for all, sadly, I, I think we're just going with the flow. We look and act like everyone else. We're dehumanizing those people who dare to disagree with us. Whether it's our spirituality, our social convictions, or our political convictions. And that's a challenge. It's a great challenge. But we also understand that it's a great need. Why? Because all of us, every one of us, if we dare to be honest, would admit that we long to be ascribed worth and dignity because of who we are, not because of what we think or what we do. So in this series on dignity, we're, we're going to address that challenge so we can be sure that we are equipped by the truth of God's Word to meet that great need. And in the end, we, we do so because we know that we're all going to answer the question for, with our Creator, how did you treat other people? What did you do? To teach my world and my people about my dignity. And so, because we're going to meet with our Creator and we're going to answer for the way we treated people, we need to live with that end in mind. And so, to begin with, we need to lay a foundation. We need to understand the truth of this matter of dignity. Because if the body of Christ is going to take the lead, is going to make a difference in this quest to establish dignity for all, then we need to understand the basics, the basis 
of dignity. And here it is. Listen, it's not based on merit. The dignity of others is not based on merit. What we do or make of ourselves. What they have done or made of themselves. Nor is it based upon the conformity to societal norms. What do I mean by that? We aren't dignified if we behave the way society tells us to behave. If we're conducting ourselves in an acceptable manner according to the culture that we live in. See, dignity comes not from man's relation to each other. Dignity comes from man's relation to God. Ethicist, easy for you to say, ethicist Gilbert Meliander got it right in his book, Neither Beast Nor God, when he wrote these words, I doubt that there's any way to derive a commitment to equal respect, that's dignity, to equal respect for every human being from the ordinary distinctions in merit and excellence that we all use in some spheres of life. Equal respect, dignity, is grounded not in our relation to each other. Not how you respond to me or I respond to you. Dignity is grounded in our relation to God. He's right. He must be right. Because here's the truth. Times they are a-changing. And the standards by which society determines a person's worth or dignity is changing with those times. So dignity or equal respect for others must be grounded in something that transcends our cultural perspective. Those changing views that we have, that our culture produces. If not, if dignity isn't grounded in something transcendent, then there is an ever-changing standard for who has dignity and who doesn't. And that's really dangerous. The Jews in Nazi Germany, they had no dignity. It was celebrated in that culture. Japanese Americans in World War II were sent to internment camps. They had no dignity. And of course, when the United States was founded, the engine that drove our economy was slavery. And the slaves had no dignity. As a matter of fact, in that day, the prevailing view was that slaves were they were just property, just like cattle. By law, did you know that slaves weren't counted as full human beings? Do you remember the three-fifths compromise? The United States Constitutional Convention of 1787 decreed by law that slaves were fractionally human. There's no dignity. Let me ask you a question. Did society's perspective really mean that Jews had no dignity? Did the laws of the United States really mean that slaves had no inherent dignity? <laughs> Absolutely not. Society got it wrong. 
See, their dignity was not grounded in their relation to other people, the people who held the power, where, by the way, the only difference was the color of their skin or the family of their birth. But their dignity, inherent dignity, was grounded in the fact that they were created by God. See, dignity is endowed by our Creator. And that never-changing truth, that's what lends every person dignity no matter what society says. And it was established from the very beginning in creation. And, and we have to understand and own this truth, this foundational truth, if we're going to meet the call of living with dignity and the call of ascribing to others the dignity they crave that only comes from God. So there are two truths today that we've, we've got to own about dignity. And they were established in creation. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, however you're doing it, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in the beginning. It's easy to find, right? Genesis, first book in the Bible. Chapter 1, first chapter in the Bible. Water's wet too, by the way. Two truths that we have to own if we're going to fulfill our call on dignity. Here's the first one. Human creation was distinct from the rest of creation. It's different. That makes us different. The first five days of creation went something like this, right? And God said, let there be. And everything that was created on those first five days was created by the spoken word of God. Plants, animals, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. God spoke them into being. And when he finished every day, he said, boy, that was good. That's good. But when it came time for the creation of human beings, mankind, everything changed. Have you noticed? God didn't just say, let there be. What did He say? He said, let us make. It wasn't just let there be. He said, let us make. Look at Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Well, here's the truth about the creation story. We can't know everything there is to know about it. We don't know all the, the, exactly the way this all went down, but there is enough here that should make us sit up and take notice of the change of approach in creating. Beginning with the fact that God did not say, let there be humans, 
What he said was, let us make man in our image. Now, what's depicted there is a discussion among the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit meeting together and deliberating about the crown jewel of creation. This is what it was all pointing to. Days 1 through 5, we're preparing the ground, creation of the garden. It was being prepared for the crown jewel of creation, which was mankind. The most important event in creation came last. And no other part of creation, from apples to apes or wheat to whales, is given the gravity that was afforded the creation of mankind. And God didn't just speak us into being. The anthropomorphic language of Genesis chapter 2 indicates that God actually fashioned us into existence. Look at Genesis 2 verse 7. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. It was prepared from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The spirit of life. And the man became a living being. Do you see how God's personal involvement in our creation differentiates us from the rest of creation? Man was sculpted, it seems to say, by the hands of God from the dust of the ground. Then He breathed the breath of life, the spirit of life in the nostrils of man. And He became a living being. You know what that's proof of? It is proof of God's passion for people. Think of it like this. Let's say there's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and we know that person can't do everything. There's, there's just no way. There's too much to be done in running the company. There are some things that he or she has to look at other people and tell them to do. They're, they're literally, in that sense, speaking it into being, as it were. But when that CEO is passionate about a particular area of the business, it could be research and development, could be manufacturing, or it could be marketing. Whatever it is, generally that CEO is going to get intimately involved because that's their baby. It, it's what they care about. It's what they're passionate about. Now the fact that God fashioned humankind with His own hands and breathed the breath of life into our nostrils, sends the message that we are totally set apart from the rest of creation. Human beings were His babies, so to speak, in the creation process. He was passionate about us. And therefore, and this matters, because this culture disagrees with this truth, Therefore, because God was fully engaged, we didn't evolve. He didn't wind up the world like a clock, sit back, fold his arms, and see what might happen. 
When it came to the creation of mankind, he slowed down. He called a meeting. He got his hands dirty and in the work, and he breathed life and dignity into all of mankind. And you know what that does? It makes all of us and each of us special. All of us, as in together, in community, mankind is special, no matter the color of someone's skin, no matter the way they think, look, or talk. We are all of us special because we are created, fashioned by God. And we are each of us special. You know, unfortunately, in a world that is distorted by a lack of dignity, people living in undignified ways, many of us suffer because of the fact that someone else told us by what they did or what they said, that we weren't worth anything. There's abuse. There's bullying. There's diminishment. Racism. And all of that, our enemy uses to cause us to shrink back to hold back our capacity to be like God, to love and invest and celebrate the life He created us to live. Listen, don't let the world, don't let our enemy tell you you are anything but special. God's creation, the way He fashioned each one of us and all of us tells a different story. The creation of human beings was distinct from all the rest. And that's an important truth to own. But there's a second truth, and maybe even a more important truth. Humans, all of us, were created in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean? Look back at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, so they may do something. They may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? There are three things I, I think we need to understand. First, it means that we are not animals and we are not angels. We are not animals and we are not Angels, D despite what science tells us in their bid, in the bid 
to eliminate dignity. We are not highly evolved animals. See, because we are made in God's image, we are given the ability to think, to reason, to create, to empathize, to love, and to serve. Unlike animals, we, we don't just live in the moment thinking about our own survival and meeting our own needs. We live with vision. We live with the understanding that one day we're going to leave this world and enter the next one and meet our Creator. We live with a vision for the capacity of sacrifice and the good that it can do when we get out of ourselves and we make friends and meet needs and make disciples. We understand what generosity can mean to those in need. We're not animals. Because God created us differently. We are made in His image. But we're also not angels. And I don't mean that like, oh, he's no angel. I mean, we're literally not angels. In Psalm 8, 5, David wrote these words, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. I want you to think about what you know about angels. What's their function? What's their deal? Okay, we, we know, first off, that they are with God and they are subordinate to God. Now, if we think critically, we also understand this. There is no loving relationship between God and the angels. Okay, now, if, if, if that gave you pause, I want you to think about it. The Bible depicts angels as soldiers in God's army. They are created to do His will and actually serve us to enable us, protect us to do His will. It appears as though, because of what happened with the fallen angels, it appears as though they do have some choice in the matter because some of them did rebel. rebel. But listen, here's the... Here's the difference. For the angels who fell, there was no grace. There, there was no seeking and giving of forgiveness. See, when they rebelled against God, they were court-martialed. They were dismissed from His presence and from His army forever. But on the other hand, God's intent in creating us was something altogether different. We were created to enter a loving relationship. He created us to enjoy us and love us forever. And here's what we know about true love. For it to exist, there has to be the freedom of choice. And here's where we're different. There also has to be an opportunity for reconciliation. Okay, when we fall because of sin and we fail in our worship of God and our ability to love God or our efforts to love God, we meet with forgiveness, mercy, and grace. 
And in that way, in the very freedom to choose repentance and the privilege of being reconciled to God through His choice of sending His Son to die for our sins, we are crowned with glory and honor. It's different for us. It's to God's glory that He loves us in our sin, and it's to our honor that we are the objects of His mercy and forgiveness. Because we are created in His image, okay, we're not animals, and we're not angels. We are unique, with a unique and privileged opportunity to engage in a life-transforming relationship with our Creator. That should blow our minds and set our hearts free to celebrate. Second, being created in the image of God means that, and this should take some pressure off, it means that we're not God. Newsflash, right? You know what that fact does? The fact that I'm not God and you're not God. It provides us with the humility necessary to live with dignity. The dignified life is always marked by humility. Because when we are undignified toward other people, we want to dominate them. We want to prove that we are right. We protect ourselves from being seen as weak or exposed or ignorant or whatever it is. But when we understand that we're not God and we don't have to be, we're set free from the pressure of being the center of the universe. We also learn that we're not the masters of our own fate. We, we don't look within to determine what truth is, nor do we consult our feelings to figure out what's right and wrong. There is a transcendent God. He created us and the world we live in, and He established wisdom. He calls the shot and lets us in on the way we should live by His grace and mercy. That takes the pressure off. We live freely and in joy when we live in His path of righteousness. And because He set the standards and He made the way, it keeps us humble. It, it gives us freedom. It enables us to be dignified in the way that we interact with and serve other people. And by the way, it relieves us of the burden of having to be the judge. See, now I don't have to judge your heart or your motives. I, I, I let God do that. We're supposed to. And I just serve you to Him. We just serve our neighbors, love our co-workers, celebrating their dignity, 
and trust God with the rest because we're not God. We're not God. Third, being created in God's image means that we are like God. Okay, we're, we're not God, but we're like Him. Daniel Darling wrote these words, Our dignity flows from and is rooted in the truth that we are like God. What exactly does that mean? I think the implications are profound. It means that we're not just a collection of atoms haphazardly put together by the fickle winds of fate and chance. It also means that we aren't defined by our worst moments or our best moments. We aren't canceled for whatever we do in the moment. See, being like God means that we have tremendous potential for creation just like God. And when we're living up to God's image, it means that when people see us, they experience God's character. Now, let me ask you a question. If we're behaving in an undignified way towards somebody that opposes us, do you think they're encountering the loving, gracious character of our Heavenly Father? See, in, in our presence, because of who we are in Christ Jesus, people should experience God's mercy, His generosity, His benevolence. And when we're around, they should know they matter to God. Because they matter to us. Because the way we treat them tells them that they are objects of God's unwavering love. They're special. Because we are created to be like God, when we're living up to God's vision for our lives, then when people encounter us, when they see us, they should be able to say, He acts just like His Father. She acts just like her father, the Father in heaven. Created in His image, we are created to be like God. We have the ability to be like Him in character. We have the ability to reason, to think, to love, to create, just like He did. And these abilities make us distinct. They, they give us a great capacity to contribute meaningfully to the world that God entrusted to our care. We're created to be like God. And that gives us dignity when we're living up to the purpose of His creation. Because the truth is, Oh, we struggle in this department, don't we? 
That's why it's the greatest challenge of our time. It's a challenge to live up to the high and holy calling of being like God. What, what, what happens when we're not? What happens when we aren't being dignified or ascribing dignity to others? Well, you, you know what the Bible calls that? It calls it sin. And it's sin that we need to be forgiven of. And it's sin, the forgiveness of that sin should lead us back on track. See, because God loves us and desires that relationship with us forever, He sent Jesus to restore us, to get us back on track when we have wandered away. And, and that's the good news of the Scripture. Because we fail. And by the way, God knows we're going to fail. Because we fail. And He knew we would. God sent His Son to save us from that failure. See, God still looks at each one of us and says, they're image bearers of mine. They're the ones. God has entrusted to us the good news of the Gospel. That while the enemy destroys our dignity, Jesus came to restore it. To connect us with our Creator and enable us to live the abundant life that we can't live without Him. See, sin, our perpetual inability to live with dignity and ascribe dignity to those we don't like, that's sin. It separates us from God. But unlike the fallen angels, God will welcome us home. He's the father in the story of the prodigal son who pursued the son and said, welcome home. You're not nothing. You're my child. And that's where Jesus came, comes in. In love, He came from heaven to earth to restore our ability to live in dignity. His death on the cross, His willingness to volunteer and suffer the greatest indignity the world has ever seen forgives us, restores us, restores our ability to live up to the call and purpose we were created with, to live with dignity and ensure that others know they're created in dignity. Only with the help of Jesus can we overcome our sinful, selfish, undignified ways. And by faith in Him, our dignity is restored. So here's the question for you. Have you come to the place where you have trusted Christ 
to do for you what you can't do for yourself. To enable you to connect with God and live out the beautiful purpose of your creation. We begin life and we fall short. We sin. We don't conduct ourselves with dignity. But Jesus said, listen, trust me and you'll be born again. You'll have the second chance that the angels, the fallen angels didn't have. Come to me. I'll give you rest and peace. Restore your dignity. So if you aren't a follower of Jesus, it begins right there. That is why he came. Place your faith and trust in Jesus and begin to walk in the delight of his dignity. If you are a believer in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has used this, our time together as we consider his truth to convict you to reveal areas in your life where you're falling short of that call to be dignified and to ascribe dignity then today represents a second chance. The Holy Spirit is inviting you to reconnect with God. By God's grace, we have the opportunity to repent. That is to turn around, to change direction, and begin to live as we were created to live. As the scripture teaches us, we have to be willing to admit it, confess it to God, He'll forgive us, restore us, and then we just determine by our will and in His strength to live differently, to stay on this narrow road that celebrates the dignity we were all Will you bow your heads? Really two decisions need to be made today. One for those who aren't followers of Jesus. Are you understanding his incredible love for you? His desire to make you whole. To give you a second chance. Will you place your faith and trust in him who died for you so you could reconnect with your creator? Will you trust Jesus? For those of us who are following Jesus, the decision is simple. Will you live up to the calling of dignity, loving others, to God. Father, I pray that by your Spirit we would walk 
in your truth. By the way we live, Lord, let other people see you in us. Let us be Let us have integrity on this issue of dignity for your glory. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'd like to just take a second and, and give those who are making a decision today to opportunity to connect, an opportunity to take that next step and what that may look like. And, I hope you along that path because we want to be a part of that journey with you. Like I said to you a little bit earlier, in the seat backs in front of you, there's a card there. In the front part of it says connect there. If you are a guest here with us today, we again say thank you for joining us. And we'd love for you to grab that. You can fill that out. You can drop that in one of the baskets as you're heading out the door there. It just gives us an opportunity to connect with you and maybe answer any questions you may have or um, just be there uh, just to share the information that's a part of this uh, church family that's here. On the back side of that, we also have a commit portion, and that's the opportunity for you to, to make a response. If there's any response that God may be laying on your heart today, whether that's a commitment to Christ or a rededication or, or baptism, or how can you find out more information about being a part of this church family here, we'd love for you to, again, grab that, fill that out, and you can drop that uh, in the basket. And lastly, prayers and praises, just to see how God has moved in your life and, and for us to have the opportunity to pray with you or praise with you, depending on how God is, you know, working in your life. We want to be a part of that. So I'd encourage you, utilize that tool in front of you. Allow us to be a part of that journey with you. And lastly, if you're online, you can do all those same exact things. Fill those out, and you can send them to us by info at skychristfamily.org. Just give us the opportunity to, to be a part of that journey with you. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship out of here. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for just giving us the opportunity to be here and to worship you, God. And for those who are making that decision today, whatever that decision may be, God, that, uh, Father, they don't hold back, but they, they move forward in that. We thank you for today and protect us for the rest of this week. In Jesus' name.